Well, great to see everybody today. Good morning, good morning. Welcome to Centerpoint. If you're new with us, my name is John. I'm lead pastor here, and I'm glad that you made it. And uh, whether we're in person or online, we're one community together experiencing God's presence, and I'm glad you came. And I just want to let you know something. What we were just experiencing together, baby dedications infused with prophetic words, is something very special. And what I was feeling when I was watching these little ones up here today was... There's something about the, the, the preciousness of, of these kids and, and their, their beauty and their innocence, and not any of us struggled to see these little ones that way, right? We saw these little ones, and we can't help but feel a sense of, of joy about who they are, right? I was thinking, though, that that's something like the way our Heavenly Father sees us. I hope that would soak in today. That God looks at you and me a little bit like some of us were looking at those kids, just with a sense of delight and freedom. So right now, I want you to just smile big. Right now, everywhere across the room, it helps your own endorphins flow better. Do it. Do it for your sake. Do it for mine. Y'all don't know what your resting face looks like sometimes. So I'm asking you to put a smile on for just a second. It might help the preaching go a little better. <laughs> okay, so I want to ask God to speak to us today. And I want you to join me in asking God to speak to you. And so with a loud voice, would you just right now, you could close your eyes if you want to because it's kind of a prayer, but just say, God, speak to me today. Today. Say it with me. God, speak to me today. One more time, just say it. God, speak to me today. God, speak to us and change our lives in Jesus' name. Okay, so you probably heard the expression, right? Uh, there's, there's no such thing as a dumb question. And, and maybe you've heard the follow-up to that, which is uh, the only dumb question is the one you don't ask. Anybody ever heard that, right? We've heard, we've heard that. But the thing is, actually, there are dumb questions. And, and I actually have a list of some of the dumb questions with me. I brought that today. And I'm going to share some, some of these dumb questions with you. And, and here's what I'm talking about. Dumb questions like these. We're, by the way, we're going to be turning to Genesis chapter 3, and, it's, and we're going to begin with the ultimate dumb question there in Genesis 3. But, uh, but first, a few dumb questions that... Uh, that I wanted to review with you. The first one is this. Uh, what disease did cured ham have before we started eating it? Yeah, yeah. I was given time for the groan, and, and, you, and you brought it. It's only going to get better. It's only going to get better. The next one. What, what about uncured bacon? Should we be eating that stuff? Uh, right. Uh, okay. It's this side. You're with me. It's Michael. You're, you're helping, man. Thank you. And, and uh, what about this one? When French people swear, do they say, pardon my English, but the blankety blank? Uh, does, that, does it work like that? Or what about like when you tell people that there's four billion stars in the sky, they just automatically believe you. But the minute you tell them this is wet paint, they find the need to test it and, and really verify whether that's true or not. You see what I'm saying? There are dumb questions. You know what I mean? There are some dumb Dumb questions, and we're going to turn in a moment to Genesis 3, and there, there's, there's a dumb question that begins to emerge there, but it sounds kind of clever, and that's kind of the problem with the dumb question that comes our way in Genesis 3, but before we jump right into Genesis 3, let me just dial you in a little bit on the backstory, because uh, we're going to jump into the, the scripture in a moment where some things have already happened. So big picture, here's where we're going uh, before we get to Genesis 3. And, it, and it's this, it's that God created the heavens and the earth. That's the way the, the, the Bible begins. It, it starts with the phrase, in the beginning, God. And I want you to just say that with me, in the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. 
And if you'll let it, that phrase alone can actually give you some strength. Because when you begin to acknowledge in the beginning, God, you're giving recognition to the central truth that the beginning of the Bible gives you, which is God is the ground of all being. He is the ultimate. He is the beginning and the end. He is the one who stands outside of time and all of the mess of time and stuff we've experienced. And, and, and God knows the end from the beginning. In the beginning, God, you know the one who created everything. You know the one who stands outside of time. You know the one who's holding all the moments that you're living through right now. And that Knowledge should give you a sense of confidence and strength. Say it one more time. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. Before any one of your troubles came to be, before any one of the moments that are so hard cropped up in your life, before any of the challenges, before any of the joys, God. The scripture says in Acts 17 that we live and move and have our being in him, God. And so we got to just sometimes look at the big picture and let it, let it do something to us. That I, I'm in the middle of a moment, and it's so hard, and it's difficult, and it's fraught with challenges, but guess what? That moment exists within the framework of Almighty God himself, who created the end from the beginning. I can take a deep breath and go, and I know him. Maybe this, is, maybe this isn't going to be as bad as I thought. In the beginning, God. Just say it one more time. In the beginning, God. Okay, so God creates absolutely everything, the mountains, the seas, the valleys, the stars, the planets, the galaxies, the universe, everything creates it all. And, and we look at it in summary as, as what's described as the six days of creation. And God created literally everything in that framework. And uh, he also created the things that we can't see, the, the things in the spiritual realm. Because God did creation at that particular time. And everything God made after making it, he looked at it and said, it is good. Everything. And so that also includes what God made that's invisible. The angelic beings. It's not specified in Genesis. But you have to deduce that if that's when God did his creation, that he also created the beings in the unseen realm in, in, in that general time. And so the scripture talks about what happened in the unseen realm. And, and, and what happened was that there was a great fall. And, and God made everything in the unseen realm, made it good, but part of the goodness of what God made was the inclusion of the principle of freedom. Everybody say freedom. God created everything that we know and experience, and at the core of it, God put the principle of freedom, that, and the, it was required because God is love. And so love isn't about puppeteering and forcing. Love is about creating a principle of liberty or freedom whereby there can be real creativity. There can be real beauty. There can be real love because it's chosen, not forced or manipulated. So God puts freedom into the very fabric of all creation, but there's a spectrum to that freedom. And on one end of the spectrum, it includes love, beauty, creativity, all of those things, but at the other end of the spectrum of that principle of liberty, you find things like 
arrogance, pride, selfishness, hatred, sin of whatever kind. So do you see what I'm talking about? There's this spectrum. I know it just got real quiet. What happened to those funny, silly questions? Where's the laughter? But there's this spectrum. And, and God put freedom as a principle into his creation because God is love, and love calls for that, that freedom. And so in the unseen realm, here's what happens. And it's described uh, in, in various places of Scripture. It's described uh, in, uh, in Ezekiel 28, described in Isaiah uh, 14. But what happened in the unseen realm is that there was a rebellion. Remember that principle of freedom? That freedom is available to all of us, but also to the angelic beings. And so in that freedom, God created the angelic beings, called it good, and that included one particular angelic being that goes by the name of Lucifer. We know the, this particular angelic being by other names, uh, the serpent, uh, the accuser of the brethren, the father of lies, the devil, like that's who we're talking about. I got to dial you in on this a little bit because uh, he's the antagonist in, in Genesis 3. But Lucifer moves into arrogance and judgment and pride. And because of that, rebels against God and actually compels a third of the other angels to do the same. And they were... Uh, sent away from the purity of God's presence. And that fall occurred in this beginning time period in a way that we don't get all of the details on, but we have enough from Scripture to understand what had happened. So keep tracking with me. So you've got God creating everything, calling it good. You've got freedom at the core of it all. And then freedom fallen happens in the unseen realm first with this one called the serpent or the devil. And, and yet God is, is doing what God is doing to create what he wanted to create. And God created human beings on the sixth day of creation. So we'll go back to that part of the, of the creation. God created human beings. And, and in, Gen, in Genesis 1.27, it says it like this. And I want you to read this out loud with me. Ready? Go. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And then God blessed them. I want you to notice this. And just say this phrase, then God blessed them. This is the heavenly Father's original intention towards all humanity. Made in his image, blessed by him. That's us. I mean, that's, that's God's intention towards the human community. Made in his image, blessed by him. That's what God's original intention and design is for human beings. But remember, we've got freedom, and freedom enters into the picture. And you've got, you've got something that happens next that takes a little bit of thinking, right? So God creates human beings generally, Genesis 1.27. And then in Genesis 2, verse 8 and verse 15, it says that then God took a man and placed him in the garden. There's a lot of mystery to, to what I'm talking about right now, but I hope that you'll, you'll see the, the big picture. God creates the heavens and the earth. God creates humanity generally in his image, male and female. He created them. Then God creates this garden, and God takes a man and places him in the garden and then creates a woman, the perfect one, to be with him in the garden. This is God doing something 
mighty. <laughs> and so the Garden of Eden, I mean, don't think of it like your backyard where you're growing some tomatoes and peppers and oh, some people. It's not, it's not like that. It, there's something about this garden that it's, it, it's got this effect that transcends time. I mean, that's the nature of what goes on in the Garden of Eden. It affects all time and space in, in a way that goes beyond what, what maybe our minds could even conceive of, but here's an analogy. It might be a little bit like this. Like, think about a, a computer network, and in a computer network, you would have a server and then a whole bunch of workstations. Are you tracking with me? Say yes. Okay, so server, bunch of workstations. And what happens in the server is going to affect all those workstations. Like, if there's an update in the server, it's going to affect all of those workstations. If there's a virus in the server, it's going to end up affecting all of the workstations. The Garden of Eden, in some kind of way, functions a bit like that, where what happens in the Eden doesn't stay in the Eden. And, and there's an effect throughout human history from what has happened in the Garden of Eden. So I want us to pay attention to what we see going on there. And so we're going to, in just one moment, turn to Genesis 3. But this is the big picture. God created this perfect place and put this couple together with a perfect intention for them to enjoy a perfect relationship with each other and with God. That's God's dream for humanity. And in the middle of it, there's a tree. We call it the tree of life. And God said, look, I want you to enjoy everything. I want you to know I've created something so special for you. And I, I want you to have it all. But don't eat from that tree. And God has the right to do that, don't you think? Don't you think the creator of everything, the heavenly father, has the right to be able to say to his kids, here's what's okay, but here's not okay. I think that God has the right to do that, you know? And that was what he had said to them. And so you've got Adam and Eve in the garden and enjoying God's presence and perfect relationship with each other and with him. But remember, you've got somewhere along the lines in the background, you've got the, the freedom fallen experience that began in the spiritual realm with Lucifer and a third of the angels falling from their place with God, becoming what we would know of as the demons, the devil, that ancient serpent, the accuser of the brethren, right? So that's going on over here. Got it? You with me? We're putting all the pieces together now, and then we turn to Genesis 3. And here's, here's what we read. It says, so that serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. And one day he asked the woman, now did God really say that you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees there in the garden? <laughs> this snake was from down south, Y'all don't even know, but I lived in Savannah, Georgia. I have an authority on this. Yes, so, so the snake comes along. Did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees of the garden? Of course, of course we may eat the fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat. God said you must not eat it or even touch it, and if you do, you'll die. Nah, you won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that if you're... Your eyes will be open as soon as you eat it. You'll be like God, knowing both good and evil. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious. And she wanted that wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. 
And then she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it too. And at that moment, their eyes were opened, and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. And so they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. Everybody say suddenly. This is the first all of a sudden moment in the Bible. And it's a devastating one. And the thing about all of a sudden moments, these, this phrase, all of a sudden or, or suddenly, makes it think like it was only about that moment, but it was actually about everything that happened before. And what had happened before deserves a little bit of attention from us because what, what we're seeing here is something that doesn't just happen in the Garden of Eden. It is actually something that continues to play itself out in our human experience right to this very day. And so I want us to, man, have eyes wide open and ears ready to hear from the scriptures what is actually taking place uh, when, when, when dumb questions start, start flying. And so what happened in this moment is that the devil comes along in the form of this serpent, and his desire is to trick God's people and get God's people away from God if he can. And the way he does this is to provoke them in their freedom. Our freedom is a gift from God to be able to create, to be able to make beauty and perceive it, to be able to love it all comes from freedom, but remember, freedom has another end of the spectrum, and the serpent comes along and provokes the human beings in that freedom. And his provocation, what, what he's trying to do, it, it comes in this question that we saw. So let's go back and hear from this guy one more time. It said in verse 1, the shrewdest, he was the shrewdest, verse 1, the serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. And one day he asked the woman, now did God really say... You must not. And you could just kind of stop for a second, couldn't you? You could do a dot, 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 and you could fill in the blanks with almost anything, right? The devil comes along with this taunting question. Now, did God really say you must not? You know? Listen, it's the oldest trick in the book. It's literally the oldest trick in the book. It's the first trick in the book, right? But this is, this is you got to have eyes wide open to it. You got to know that's just the scheme of the devil is wanting to come along and get you to doubt God. The devil's tactic is to want to come along and get you to doubt what God says, to doubt God's word to be cynical about what God's word has for you, to be, to be cynical about what God has said for your life. This is the trick of the devil, and it's not something that you need to fall prey to. You need to be aware of it. When you find yourself being prompted and moved into cynicism about God, about God's word, about God's people, I guarantee you that didn't come from the Holy Spirit. I'm guessing it came from a different kind of a spirit. And if you go along with it, you're partnering with a spirit that's not from God. <laughs> and so this tactic of the devil is to try to get us to, to go, oh, yeah, did God really say that? D does it really mean, does it, do I really have to listen to that? Here's the deal. We, we receive the word of God. And when we receive the word of God and allow ourselves to say, yes, I, I will submit my life to the word of God, there is life. 
There's freedom, there's beauty, there's creativity, there's love, there's all that we were made for, right relationship with God and each other. But when we begin to give in to the tactic of the devil and go, yeah, 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 to say that again, well, what I said was, did God really say that you must not, now fill in the blanks with whatever. If we go along with that, we're walking away from the goodness that God had in mind for us. And I want us to, to, to recognize uh, the tactics of the devil and stand against it. Verse, verse 7, one more time, it said, At that moment, their eyes were opened, and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. Everyone say, cover themselves. This is the beginning of human religion. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves, and that is the inclination. When we fall into shame because we've exercised freedom in a way that's taken us into the dark side, it, it it brings shame. And out of that shame comes this impulse, which is, I gotta save myself. I gotta cover myself. I gotta cover this up. I gotta hide this. And that never goes anywhere good. Religion begins right here in the Garden of Eden with this impulse to say, I'm gonna cover it myself. God has a different plan, and it is for himself to provide the covering for you. That's where this ultimately goes. But shame comes in, and shame never does us any good. Any of us who have ever felt shame in our lives understand this well, that what shame does is shame becomes a filter of distortion. We we look through the lens of shame and we can't see other people correctly. We have a distortion about who they are and what their intentions are. Shame becomes a distortion filter as we think about ourselves and we have a distorted view of ourselves because we're looking at ourselves through the lens of shame when all the while we actually have a heavenly father who looks at us through the lens of love. Shame destroys, but it ultimately is part of the tactic of the devil. So when you find yourself in shame, you need to consider how did I get there? And usually if you trace it back, It's because there was a prompting from some scheme of the devil that somehow uh, you weren't aware of. So my message today starts with this idea. I have two main ideas in this message, and the first one is this. It's be on guard against the schemes of Satan. Guard your heart against Satan's schemes. Guard your heart against Satan's schemes. I want you to say that out loud with me. Guard your heart against Satan's schemes. Now, I want you to say it personally with a phrase like this, I'm going to guard my, ready? I'm going to guard my heart against Satan's schemes. And I think that's part of why God allowed this to be one of the very first interactions in his book. It's like God is saying, hey, I want you to know, this is, this is not new. This is as, as old as time almost. Be ready. Don't give in to it. You don't have to. You've got power available for me to be aware of these schemes and steer clear of them. What what I notice about the the schemes of the devil is that that there's two main components to it. And the first is cynicism, and the second is elevation of personal pleasure above everything else. And those two things seem to be part of the, the core of the schemes of the devil. Cynicism. Why? Because cynicism erodes faith. And as faith erodes, hope gets destroyed. 
And when hope gets destroyed, you are in despair. Ah, man, it's, it's this trick of the devil. The other side of what I see here in this tactic of the devil is to get you or me to elevate personal pleasure above everything else. So here's what God said you can do, and here's what God said don't. But the devil comes along and says, you want that though. I know you're going to feel so good if you just do that. <laughs> and there's this elevation of personal pleasure. Th- those schemes of the devil lead to a trap. And a trap of sin and shame is not what God had for us. God had something in mind for us called freedom, but it takes some some wisdom to recognize the scheme of the devil for the crud that it is and send it back to where it came from. I'll put it like this. So there's this little little city uh, outside of Madrid, and I saw this in the news a while back, but this little city outside of Madrid uh, had an issue, which was that there was dog doo-doo piling up on the sidewalks because the dog owners were just being irresponsible and weren't cleaning up after their dogs. It became such a problem that the town council said, we got to come up with a plan, and they came up with this particular plan. They said, all right, uh, the 20-something of you, you're going to go out and watch those irresponsible dog owners. And, and when they don't clean up after their dogs, here's what you do. You just casually go up to them and say, hey, uh, so that's a beautiful dog. What's your dog's name? And what kind of, what breed of dog is it? And they'll tell you the answers. And then here's what happened. Knowing the breed of dog and the dog's name, they were looking up into the pet registry and they found the owner's name and address. <laughs> and then they said, okay, so here's what you do. You collect that pile of dog doo-doo that they forgot to pick up and you're going to put it in these boxes over here that we'll provide for you with postage attached. You write their address on it and say, lost property returned to sender, and you put it in the mail, and you send it on back. And they did, and 147 citizens in this little city outside of Madrid got a box on their door and opened it up. It was lost property returned to sender. This is what you need to do with the schemes of the devils. You need to recognize them for the crud that they are, pack them up in a box, return to sender. I'm not buying it. I'm not giving in to the tricks of the devil. I am not letting my heart cross over into cynicism about what God says in his word. I'm not letting my heart cross over into cynicism about God's people. I'm not going to do it. That's from the devil. I'm not giving in. I won't. It doesn't come from his spirit. I'm sending that back to the sender. And I'm not giving in to an elevation of personal pleasure above everything else. And you know, some of us know all too well what has happened in our lives because we followed that trick of the devil, huh? We, we believe the lie. We believe the lie. Oh, this ain't going to hurt you. Don't worry about that. Just get it. Try some of this. Oh, yeah, just go over there. <laughs> I won't go tell you about what's going to happen afterwards, but in the moment, you're going to feel good. I, I was thinking this morning. <laughs> Devil's either going to have a New York accent or a Southern accent. Who am I going to make fun of today? <laughs> I figured I haven't picked on anybody from the South recently. So, so we, 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 we got to guard our heart against Satan's schemes. But we got to keep reading too. Verse 8, it continues. It says, when the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. And the Lord God called to the men, 
Where are you? He replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Who told you you were naked? The Lord God asked, have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? And the men replied, well, it was a woman you gave me the fruit. I ate it. Then the Lord God asked the woman, what have you done? Well, the serpent deceived me, she replied. That's why I ate it. Okay, just an aside note. <laughs> this little moment, it's kind of funny, right? But here's part of the reality. When we are being called on ways we've crossed the line, kind of the dumbest thing we could do is that. Blame shifting and deflecting. Any boss ever had a, work, a, a worker on your team that you confronted with something and they began to say, oh, it was because of them, it was because of him. How did you feel about them in that moment? It, it, you, you didn't respect them for that. But whenever you've seen somebody who was part of your team that you confronted about something and they said, you know, you're right, I did that. Guess what? You probably had a greater appreciation for them. But that's not what happens here. Hey, no, she made me do it. He made me, they made it. It's the devil. It's somebody else. There's this deflection. I think we need to recognize that when we have bought into the schemes of the devil, one of the things that comes next is the tendency to run and hide in our shame, to run away from God and hide from God, to not even want to be close to God anymore. That's a real thing. That really happens. And then to hide in our shame and then to try to shift the blame anywhere else, somebody else. This is Part of what we do when we've followed the devil into his schemes, but we need to stop it. We need to recognize that the line has been crossed and we had a, we had a part in it and we did it and we own it. But, but what happens in this moment is important. And the, the main idea of the second part of this message is just this. Get real about where you stand with God. Let me just put that out there. Get real about where you stand with God. Here's what I mean. There they are, hiding in their sin and shame. God comes into the garden. God is expecting the relationship to be the way he designed it, where the humans are having a good relationship with God and with each other. There's no shame. There's no hiding. God designed it to be a perfect experience with unity with him and one another. But there's this moment where God's saying, Adam, where are you? This is not a dumb question. Remember we started at the beginning of this message with some silly questions, dumb questions. This is, not a, this is a powerful question. When God asks this question, where are you? Listen, it isn't because God has a deficit of information that he needs to get. God is omniscient. I mean, we know from 1 John 3.20, it literally says God knows everything. That's, that's established. So when God asks this question, it is not because he needs to find something out that he didn't know. When God asks this question, it is because he is a loving heavenly father who desires to have a relationship with his beloved son. When God asks this question, it is because he is a loving father who wants to have a conversation with his son that might prompt some self-reflection. When God asks, where are you? You gotta know that Adam's heart's racing and he's wondering, yeah, where am I and how did I get here? And that's exactly what maybe God is going for with this question. And I think maybe God is looking at some of us right now about some things that are going on in our lives and maybe he's talking to you right now and saying the same thing, where, where are you? Where are you? And how, how did you get there? 
And if we, if we can let this conversation come to us, not as a condemnation, but as the invitation of a loving father who wants a good relationship with his kids and who invites us into a conversation that prompts some self-reflection, we're going to be able to come out of hiding. We're going to be able to come out of the shame. Can you hear this? The heavenly father saying to you right now, where are you? You're so distant from me. How did that happen? Where are you? You've, you've gotten yourself into a bit of a mess. It's, it's not what I intended for you. But when God says, where are you? I, I believe it comes with, with, with an invitation to receive his arm of rescue, his hand of redemption. It's like he asks this question, where are you? With a willingness to reach in and pull out wherever he needs to bring you out from. He asks that question, where are you? And then he asks this question to Eve, what, what have you done? Wow. And then it gets real, because we have to start acknowledging some things. And, and, and our tendency, again, is to say, well, I don't want to talk about where I am and what I did. I want to talk about what they did. I want to talk about them. What about what they're doing? What about what happened to them? What about how they messed up? What about all those hypocrites in the church? What about all the other religions? What, what about these theological uh, discussions I think I would rather have, rather than getting real personal about <laughs> what have you done? But God said, yeah, yeah uh, let's not do the blame shifting thing. Let's not have you hiding behind the smoke and mirrors of whatever questions you can come up with that aren't really your questions. God's saying, what, what have you done? Can you, can you acknowledge where you are, what you've done. Because then we can have a real relationship. And again, you can come out of hiding and you can come out of shame. And, and, and our God comes to us with open arms, ready to bring the gift of his grace into our lives and at every turn because of what Jesus Christ has done. Yes, what comes next in the Bible is what's known as the curse. Now, you can read it for homework if you want. And what comes next is the curse, the curse that happens in the Garden of Eden but affects and infects like a virus from a server to the workstations all of the rest of the human story. Yeah, the curse comes next, but with it comes this, this beginning of the promise of God's plan for redemption that will ultimately be culminated in Jesus Christ, our Savior, our Lord, our King, the foundation of our mercy that we build our lives on. Th this... This moment, though, I think it's a moment not just for us to think about as some old story at the beginning of the Bible, but to think about it as a moment that, that can speak to us if we'll let it. And there's an invitation to do our lives differently. For the third time, I'll say it, to come out of hiding, to come out of shame, and to instead build our lives on grace. On grace. Okay, so... Um, I'm, a, I'm the kind of dad that makes my kids do a lot of chores and things like mowing the lawn, right? So I, somebody's clapping. <laughs> I'm that old school dad, I guess. But I make my kids mow the lawn, and now it's the, my, my second son's turn to be the one to mow the lawn. And a couple months ago, you know, we'd, it had been winter, so there hadn't been much mowing going on. But I, I'm telling him, hey, I need you to mow the lawn. And then, you know, a few days later, hey, come on, I need you to mow the lawn. A few days later, hey, come on, it's an embarrassment to the neighbors now. Like, mow the lawn, really. And, and then he texts me while I'm working. He's like, dad, there's a problem. Like, can't get the lawnmower to start. It's not working. And... And as a dad, I'm frustrated because I'm going, yeah, how many times am I going to deal with this crappy lawnmower thing? Like, 
didn't we just do this? Yes, we just did this. It, you know, just, I don't know, eight months before or something, we took that lawnmower up to the place in Lake Elsinore, paid them $179 to fix the carburetor or whatever, and, and, then, and then we had done it the year before also. Same mower, same place, fix it again. And now I'm thinking, I, I'm almost up to $600 on this old mower. Like, I mean, it's bad, right? It's the kind of thing where he has to open up the air filter and spray starter fluid in there just in time to pull. The, I mean, it's a bad game. And it wouldn't even work with that, right? And so I'm, I know something's got to happen, but I don't know what to do. And I just tell him, listen, just never mind. I'm kind of frustrated. I don't know what we're going to do. I'm bothered by this whole old lawnmower situation. But it's, it's an you know, expensive problem. Anyway, I'm praying. I'm just thinking like, about the issue. Long story short, uh, the next day, there was a, a family as part of our church that said, hey, we were praying, and long story short, we just felt like God wanted us to, to give you something. And they gave me two Home Depot gift cards, two. And it was enough. It was like a sizable amount. And I thought, this is the Lord. Thank you, God. Like, I don't have to go fix the old mower. I think I could get a new one. That was like my sign from God, literally, and provision from God all in the same time uh, to just go get a new mower. I went down to, uh, to, to Home Depot looking at mowers, right? And, 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 you know, there's these electric mowers. And for years, I'd like snubbed my nose at those electric mowers. That's not a real mower. That's, that can't handle my grass. It'll never, I'll never. But all of a sudden, when I'm now looking at, okay, I've, I've fixed this old carburetor lawnmower, like whatever, how many times? Am I really going to do that again? And, and, and I finally just decided, no, let me look at these cordless electric mowers in a new light. And I, I looked at them, and I, I had the gift cards in my hand. I thought, shoot, it's already been provided for. I'm doing it. Electric cordless mower. Let me go. That Ryobi one. Man, this thing is amazing. I'm telling you, it's amazing. Like, you, you put it out there. You just press a button, and it just works instantly. No starter fluid. No yanking again and again on a chain. It just works. And it's light as a feather. And it's like a Tesla for your lawn. It's amazing, right? It's amazing. <laughs> It's awesome. It's so, it's so much fun to use that I, I'm like, shoot, son, you don't even need to. I'll mow the lawn again this week. I'll, you don't have to. It's just it, literally, I, I love this thing. It's amazing. And I find myself thinking, why didn't I buy one of these 10 years ago? It would have saved so much frustration and so much like it, it, tension, right? And, and, and the thing is, when I think about it, it it's an analogy of grace, really, and my old lawnmower with the old dirty carburetor where I'm pulling and pulling and paying money to try to make it work is like a spirituality devoid of God's grace. Where you're trying to make it happen yourself. You're doing the sewing together some fig leaves thing where you're going to cover yourself. You're going you're gonna to make yourself good. You will do enough good deeds to balance out the scales and you can keep trying. But grace is like this Electric lawnmower. There isn't even a carburetor. It doesn't, it's not even part of it. <laughs> there is no, there's just, press the button, it just works. It's there. It's light. Light as a feather. Like the grace of God. That you can, in fact, build your life on. And for somebody, I'm, I want to just set you free today. Where you have thought that you have to try to figure it all out yourself and make it all happen by yourself you're pulling on that old carburetor thing, those days can be done. 
And you can build your life on the grace of God. This is what I read in the scriptures in Ephesians chapter 2. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, God's word says, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things that we have done, so none of us can boast about it. I'm going to read that again. Verse 8, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. It's kind of like, I'm going to leave that on the screen for a couple moments. It's kind of like me waking up that day and this family just saying, hey, we were praying for you and we felt like we were supposed to give this to you and just gave me these Home Depot gift cards. I didn't do anything to deserve that. I didn't do anything to please them enough to earn that. It was just given. God's grace is kind of like that. You don't do anything to earn it or deserve it. He just gives it. He just offers it because he's a good father. He doesn't want his kids running over in in shame and hiding. He wants them in free, wonderful, loving relationship with him. And he made a way for that to happen. God saved you by his grace when you believed. He's willing to do this for somebody right now today. But for for others of us who are believers, I want us to take this verse and make it a little bit personal right now. Just to remind ourselves of the gospel for a minute. To fill up our tank a little bit on the goodness of God and the gospel of Jesus. And just say it personally like this. God saved me by his grace when I believed. I want you to just put your hand on your heart and just say that verse but personalize it for a second as a declaration. Say it with me. God saved me by his grace when I believed. Just say it again. God saved me by his grace when I believed. One more time, just say it. God saved me by his grace when I believed. One more time. God saved me by his grace when I believed. I know that for some of us right now, we're struggling because we don't know if we've done some bad things and maybe God isn't good with us anymore and we're worried about whether we should just give up on God because maybe we just made too big of of a mess anyway. We should just walk away. No! God saved me by his grace, when I believed, he, he did that for you. And no, and no matter where you have, you have kind of crossed the line and blown things up, he's got arms open wide because he's established from all eternity that the foundation he invited you to is not one of performance, is not one of earnings, is not one of works, but is one of grace. God saved me by his grace when I believed. Sometime the devil comes up against you with a a taunt. You don't deserve to be loved by God. Look what you did to your life. You just say this, "Uh uh-uh. God saved me by his grace when I believed. The enemy comes up alongside of you and says, you don't deserve to be forgiven. Look at what a failure you are. You're never going to be right with God. You say, no, God saved me by his grace when I believed. My, My salvation is a function of God's goodness to me. God's forgiveness over me is permanent through Jesus Christ. And yeah, I got some rough edges. And yeah, I got some course corrections. And yeah, I got some things to deal with. And there's consequences I might have to work through. But God saved me by his grace when I believed. And I'm never going to stop believing. Amen. Amen. So I came to tell somebody today it's time to go buy a Ryobi cordless electric lawnmower. (laughs) Joking, not joking. It's really awesome. I'm not even kidding. It's amazing. <laughs> but, but spiritually, I am telling you to 
be done with trying to make that start it all yourself by all your own pulling and energy. Embrace this grace God, God has for you. And yeah, let him ask you some questions today. Where are you? What have you done? It's with an invitation. Just say what it is so I can set you free from the guilt of it. Say what it is so I can forgive you. Say what it is so I can bring you back to the freedom that I had in mind for you all along. This is the gospel. Let's just live back into it. Right now, somebody, today, the message from God for you is time to shrug off the condemnation. It's really time. You just, that's another trick of the devil to try to make you feel condemned inside of yourself. Your Father in heaven has an invitation for you today to come back to his grace. And so I want to ask us to take a couple of minutes to just be in God's presence together. Just pray. Take a few deep breaths and hang out with God for a minute. So just do that. You could close your eyes. You could look up at the ceiling, whatever you want to do. You could bow, whatever. But just take a minute. Let's just hang out with our Heavenly Father for a few minutes together. Hmm. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God, for the Garden of Eden. Thank you for what it represents. Thank you, God, that it's a picture of your, your highest and best for your kids that we could live in uh, a kind of a, a purity with you that's just amazing, that we could live in a rightness with you there, where it would be like what we read, where you just come, come along in the cool of the day and hang out with us. Oh, thank you, Lord, for the Garden of Eden. While we're praying together, I mean, there's a picture coming to your mind because we're remembering what we've just read. And if you could just picture this, right? Garden. Lush, green trees, beautiful flowers, flowing streams, little butterflies, whatever comes to your mind. It's just perfection. And and God just comes walking in the cool of the day. Ready to just be with you. This, this is what God has in his heart for us. To live that way. Waking up each day and instead of just, you know, clicking into social media or watching the news, but instead to just take some time to do this, just be with God, feeling the goodness of his grace. And so, Father in heaven, I'm asking that right now there would be something like, a, a, like that river would just start splashing over us. And the splash would be life-giving. I'm, I'm asking for this to happen, God, that there would be a flow of your river just splashing into each of our lives. And it would be your grace, your grace setting us free from condemnation and shame. Your grace flowing into our lives, bringing us up, raising us up out of the low level where we were. Here's what I see while I'm praying. I see this river coming and flowing your way, and you were down so low, but the river comes, and it just you can't even help it. It just begins to lift you up. God's grace does that and is doing that right now in your life. And it's, it's the word of the Lord for you right now. Where are you? And with that is the invitation to come out of hiding, come out of shame, and come into the freedom of his grace. Now, for somebody right now, you, you have lived with a, with a hardness about you that has not been serving you very well. 
you've been living with a rigidity, a rigidness about you that has been destructive. It's been hard for some people around you. But right now, I'm asking you to open your spirit to a flow of the grace of God that would take off the hardness. You can still be strong. You can still be highly effective. But you can be gentle. You can be gracious. And so right now, I'm, I'm praying in Jesus' name for that to happen. And for some of you, it has to do with how you deal with the, the people at work. And, and there's a different kind of you that is going to show up after today in Jesus' name. And you could just silently or out loud say with me, amen, for my life. Amen. You're going to show up differently. You're going to show up with grace. You're going to show up with the love of God flowing through you instead of the hardness of the anger that comes from the shame of, of what you were hiding in. Thank you, Lord. Now, for somebody else, what needs to happen right now is you need to say yes to Jesus Christ. You've never asked him to forgive your sin and save your life, and this is what you need to do. More than anything, you need to ask him to forgive you and save your life. Remember the verse we were reading, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And so for somebody right now, this is the moment where you need to believe in Jesus Christ and ask him to forgive your sins and save your life. It all begins right there. That opens the door to all of the restoration, all of the mercy, all of the new life, all of the hope that you need. And so for somebody right now, I'm asking you to cross the line, to stop just being a spectator who came to church or jumped online for a service, but instead you, you say yes to Jesus personally. So while we're praying together, if you are ready to do this, to turn from your sin and to turn to Jesus Christ and ask him to be your savior, your Lord, right now I want you to raise your hand. Just raise it right now as your way of saying, I need to say yes to Jesus Christ, to ask him to forgive me and save me. I want you to raise your hand and look my way so we can connect over here in the back. Excellent. I don't want to miss you. Make sure you raise it high. If you're on the patio, you'll connect with some, uh, one of our ministers out there. If you're online, you just type it into the comments. I need to give my life to Jesus, and we're going to pray with you. And I want you to pray with me right now, those of you who just raised a hand, and you simply say, Jesus Christ, I believe in you. I turn from my sin, and Jesus, I turn to you. Would you forgive me and save me? Be my Lord from this moment on, Jesus I'm yours. Th this changes everything. So God, I pray that you would allow your goodness and grace to become the foundation for all of our lives in a way that would be evident to us and to those around us. We pray in Jesus' name. I want you to stand to your feet, and as you're standing up, I want you to just think about where we've just been. Something just happened for a good number of us. We just spent a little time just hanging out with our Heavenly Father <laughs> in a unique way. And it's a secret source of strength that can go far beyond a, a little moment on Sunday. It's meant to be your way of life. So Lord, we honor you. And we declare you have come, Lord, and you've been with us. And this place has become for us an altar. And, and we are changed because of it.